Hey everyone, this is Mega Sheen for this week, and we are ready to go. How's everybody? What's going on? Oh, it's another week, another. You know, these weeks, these days, ever since shit hit the fan, have been incredibly trying. Like, it's another day, another this happened, that happened. But we're going to try to make light of it. We're going to try to be positive. We're going to try to be here, bring you all, you know, the gay and gay, gay news yep. that you you want to hear. <laughs> so, and we're joined by a special guest today. We are. Hello. Yes, we are. So, uh, special guest, can you uh, announce yourself to the crowd? Hello, y'all. I am Cheap. Um, say Cheap on Twitter, Instagram, etc. Um, I am the editor-in-chief of a website called Ethnics.com, E-F-N-I-K-S, and the folks here have invited me onto the podcast to, uh, I don't know, I guess uh, say some things that are on my mind. I don't know, answer some questions, participate in the discussion, but um, it's good to be here. I'm glad. Thank you. Well, great to have you. Yeah. You know, we just partying bullshit over here. That's how we are. <laughs> but no, we're glad to have you. Um, you know, you're known, you're known all over the internet for all types of things, um, for the work that you do, the conversations you have, and your famous leg day post. <laughs> now, see, you didn't have to say all that. Though. Okay. <laughs> well, well. Post, yeah, because I mean, hey, I I only post two leg days. And I I would like to get my legs a, a little bit better. But I did have somebody say something today at the gym, and I was like, okay, whatever. But, you know, there's always oh, inspiration. There's always inspiration. And Chief is inspiration. So, I'm just saying. Let's see, look at that. <laughs> look at God. Won't he do it? <laughs> so, what's everybody been up to? Uh, Chief, we'll start with you. What's you been up to this week, this past week? Anything good? Were you reading? Were you watching? Were you playing? Any of that? You know, this week I'm, I'm actually trying to, I've been trying to recruit my friends to, uh, to I mean, it's in two weeks, but I, I, they don't, they're not, I'm the only comic book movie fan. So I'm looking forward to Thor Ragnarok. I'm, I've been anticipating this for a long time and I'm trying to recruit them. The Hulk is my favorite character. So I'm looking forward to this sort of like low-key uh, Planet Hulk subplot. And um, yeah, so that's kind of what I've been doing. Uh, besides that, it's really hot up here in San Francisco. Uh, I'm not used to weather. I was born in a place where it's room temperature year-round. And <laughs> yeah. 75 degrees is a heat wave. I don't know what this is. Well, yeah, well, yeah, at least you're 75 because we, we are in the 80s or 90, whatever it was today. I'm still mad about being outside. So, because <laughs> I normally take a walk around our campus and I was like, no, 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 not today. So, we're really feeling it. And in the valley, the valley is just a mess. Like, it's really hot. So, I don't know what's going on. I kind of miss seasons. I miss seeing fall. And last year at this time, I was in Seattle. And there was a it was a whole season. I didn't know how to act. I was literally outside all day, just like it's a season. It's the leaves. It's all this stuff. So, 
being a Mary Tyler Moore the fall. Well, I well something like that you could say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll jump in. I'll you know things have been good. Um, I have been. I'm working with my artists. Um, we are completing a side comic for my my graphic novel. Um, I was doing an origin of Pan because Pan is one of the big characters in my in my uh, web comic called Strange Lore, and we've been working on uh, some pages for that so I can explain the origin of that. And I have to give my artist Antonio a lot of credit because I asked him to do an orgy scene of gods. And he he did it very tastefully, and I appreciated that um, because I, I have what I vision what gods look like are not like the pretty white ones with you know the nice little garb and crowns. These are like half half deer, half woman, half snake, half man, all this type of stuff. So he did a great job. I saw some of the pictures of it. I might post it a little bit of it. But um, he was like, yeah, he's like, this is the first time I ever did a God orgy. I was like, well, good. I, I'm glad I, I, I broke your cherry. So I, I'm doing good today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. You know, that's a lot of work to do. So Yeah, shout out to artists who, who are doing comics and graphic novels because you have to put up with people like me who are very anal about how a, a scene should look and how the page should look and everything. So, um and shout out to those who are writing comics because that's, that's tough. It's not as easy as you may think it is. You have to really create a scene, but also really create what it will look like and expressions. And you have to convey it to your artist and hopefully your artist and you connect when it comes to that. So shout out to everybody in comics. Hey, yeah, that's, that's not an easy job. I know as for me, I've been running around here with a, chicken with his head cut off trying to get ready for this damn pa drag pageant um it's this sunday and i'm still you know i don't have my package together which you know i'm not stressing too bad because it's not like a big huge pageant it's just like one of these local charitable pageants but you know i'm not gonna come out here looking a booger <laughs> well i hope not you know? i mean no, I, the people behind me won't let that happen. So well, that's good. But it it should be fun, and it's a Halloween theme pageant. So I think you know all the gays love Halloween because that's like our Christmas, apparently. <laughs> is um, it? Is it really? Is but that... uh, I mean, to some, I guess. not to me. Well, it's gonna be a mess on um, West Hollywood on Halloween, which I never go because one, traffic, two, yeah, it's too much. <laughs> it's too much. West Hollywood is already a mess. I don't need costume mess on top of mess. So I, I think I'm going to just stay at home and watch good old-fashioned TV. Chief, are you going out for Halloween? I don't know, to be honest. I usually don't, I don't half-ass it. So, if I'm gonna dress up, I'm I'm I mean, you might have seen my Luke Cage costume or yeah. my Francois Sagat costume. Like, I, I do it right, but uh -huh. <laughs> um, but you know, I I didn't have any inspiration this year. So if I if I do, I I don't know what I can do in the next few days. I don't know. Um, 
what I'll be able to put together that quickly uh, on a budget. And friends don't even know what we're going to do. So I might just go as me. Um, and, you know, that, that'll be that. And people can either enjoy it or they can't. But I really don't care either way. I know that's right. <laughs> I, I don't know if I will. Like, what's Halloween is on a what? Tuesday. Tuesday? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, the all the crap goes down this that now this weekend previous weekend yeah. so i i don't know i probably won't dress up because that's i don't have the kind of money to be spending on shit like that i haven't dressed up then since i was 18 that's the last time i actually dressed up um i well, was yeah. i was well i take that back because we used to do rocky horror and murray state and i was in charge of that so I dressed up for that when I did um, drag for just for the show. Um, but when I dressed up as that's when I was Xavier St. James. That was my name for the show. But the last time I that really okay. <laughs> I was hosting Rocky Horror. What you expect? So I think the last time I dressed up for something, this is really gay. I dressed up as jealousy. So my fr- my freshman year in college, I dressed I had green streaks, a green cape, green lipstick, and green eyeliner, and um, I was jealousy. Okay, that could have been really cool, though. Well, uh, that was 1992, so it was about as cool as you can try to make it, but that was my thing, (laughs) and that was it for me. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So let's get into these topics. Let's get into unmaced tea because we've got some good and we got some downright shitty topics to discuss. So let's start out with oh, good news, I guess. Yeah, that's good. Um, so if you hadn't heard by now, Star Trek Discovery is getting a second season, which is really good. It still bums me out that they're still behind that paywall, though. Yeah. I don't, because I still haven't watched any of the episodes, even though I've heard it's really good. Have any of you seen uh, any of the episodes? I live vicariously through Twitter. So Twitter tells me all about what's happening. So I know all about the Klingon speaking Klingon and not looking Klingon. And so it's, it's, I get a lot of it and I do get the criticisms from, from Twitter. It is filtered, but, um. But I mean, everything that I've read and everything that I keep seeing, or like little clips or gifs or whatever, it's like I I I love them. Uh-huh. Like it, it looks like it's it's. Um, I used to like Star Trek a lot, and I think that Voyager and uh, Enterprise like really like kind of killed the franchise. And though I enjoy J.J. Abrams and his alternate timeline, um, it's definitely not Star Trek. So. I like this return to Ooh. original Trek, the Gene Roddenberry vision, as well as the diversity in the cast for once. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, I haven't seen it because it's behind a paywall, and I'm sorry, like they just they, they kill that for me. I, I they could put it anywhere else, and I'll watch, but they're not gonna. <laughs> they're not right. gonna get my coins. Yeah, it's just like everybody's. We said on the show uh, episodes before that everybody is going to their streaming services, and then once. Everybody has their own streaming services. Then cable will be obsolete. Mm-hmm. But then if you drop the cable, then you'll have to pay for all these other streaming services and you're right back where you started from. Yeah. 
Like if you have like um direct now through like your Roku and everything, you can get it and watch it. Um from what I've seen, I think I saw the first one. I haven't really I have a lot of stuff I need to catch up on. But um it it looks pretty good. It, it it's very solid. It is filmed very well. The characters are very um well thought out and everything. Like I feel it. I like it. Um I I, I agree with Chief about how Voyager and all those were kind of I don't know if we really and Enterprise was just a mess. We didn't even I don't know why they even that Enterprise hurt me because they didn't even use like the classic type of music. They used like a a, a Rod Stewart song <laughs> for the intro. Um and so it's just I feel like this has a lot of promise. I really wish they would have put this on a regular and maybe they will. I think if people really, you know, shout out enough and they get the viewers that they want. I think after a while. And then all these other shows they put up fail. Because think about it. They're going to have to do something soon. Once Big Big Bang Theory is gone. And all of that. And Supergirl. Big Bang Theory should have been Supergirl's gone. Supergirl's already like, gone. Yeah. Like five but, seasons ago. Yeah. But they, but, but they knew Sheldon show is holding up. It's going to. It's actually it did pretty well. So that might be a total up. But I, I kind of hope that they will reconsider putting this on um putting this on regular cbs or if not make it available for those who are like on the roku or have like the direct mouse uh-huh. but it's cute it's a cute it's cute for what i saw and it has um a gay couple in it so i'm happy about that and it's it's funny because these are like characters that we we well people that we know like anthony rapp and wilson cruz we kind of grew up with them so it's kind of nice to see them in this role um, so if anything, um, watch it for the gay couple, watch it for the black Vulcan. <laughs> That's funny. Black Vulcan. Um, and, um, just watch it for that at least. So it was that on the high sea coats and Jen Bartell are combining to write a new storm comic book series. Yes. And while I'm happy that we're getting a new Storm comic book series where no other black women or no other black women available. Hmm. That was exactly my first thought. It's as though I love him and like Ta-Nehisi Coates and, um, you know, you have some authors um, like I follow uh, Daniel Jose Older and mm-hmm. like he writes... He can write women characters really well, and even young women characters, and, and, uh-huh. and that's part of his thing, right? It's sci-fi, mm-hmm. it's it's YA, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we just need to just continue to invest um, in men writing women. And like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, we, we just we we go straight from from Star Trek to where you've got a an Asian woman captain and a, a black woman first officer, and it's finally showing like earth as an egalitarian society, right? If you have more, if, if in 2017, if most of the earth is people of color and more than half are women, then once we get to this enlightened state, yeah, we should definitely see more than just the white men that we've traditionally seen in Star Trek. Right. You know, we've got, you, you, you do have CBS, Paramount, et cetera, doing, trying to do things in that respect, in that sci-fi universe. But I don't understand why, um, 
you know, I, again, it's I, I I love Ta-Nehisi Coates and his mind and the way he writes, like just not just his, uh, you know, his opinions and stuff, but just his style of writing. But at the same time, it just it's it, it doesn't it doesn't make me feel comfortable knowing that they took this this powerful this well known um, this this amazing comic book character and said, okay, here here's like here you're a man, write this woman. It, it just doesn't. I don't know, right. maybe, maybe 20 years ago, but in 2017, that just doesn't fly. Not when you have the likes of Roxanne Gay mm. running around here. You're like, you can't, it, Coates can't do everything. He can't write all the black stories. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. Yeah. 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 I, I, it is interesting to me because I think about how many times they've given a lot of white writers we've never heard of, like, oh, here's your, you know, you, you were the assistant, or you wrote two sentences in the X Men comic. How do you write this whole entire comic? I feel like they could have, maybe that could have been their moment to like find, um, black women writers to kind of come in and do this, because um, I feel like that's 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 a niche they don't have on lock. Um, they barely have, um, black women as artists. With them, they have like maybe one or two, but they don't really have a lot. Mostly one, I think. Um, and so I would have liked to have seen a black woman write this. Um, I like Jen's artwork. If if y'all familiar with her artwork, it's pretty good. She's done Jim. She's done um, many. She's done Jim comic before. She's done many other things. Um, I've seen some of the art that she's going to do. I, <laughs> I'm a storm purist. And I'm not really excited about the dreadlocks, but um, I, I I'm open to see what this is going to be about. But you're y'all are right. I would I would have loved to seen a black woman write this because this is a black woman. This is one of the the essential black women of comics, and and I feel like we at this time we need a black woman writing this character. Uh huh. Didn't Coates, he wrote The Crew and World of Wakanda, right? Yes, and Black Panther. World of Wakanda was Roxanne Gay, I think. think It was what? I think she was doing World of Wakanda. Yeah, so, and those two got canceled. So, (laughs) I don't want it to, like, come up to a, a point where black story, black comic book storylines are only given a certain amount of leadway before they get canceled. Yeah. And then the powers that be say, oh, well, we didn't have the an audience or sales were this when they should have been that. You know, it's... I don't want it to be something that it's not. Like, just write a good story and your audience will be there. Yeah. That's what we hope. You know what's funny about the the, the Black Panther um, comic and and that the end of that run is uh, even World of Wakanda. It's um, you know it's similar to when Comedy Central uh, canceled Larry Wilmore's show, and this uh-huh. was like right before the election of Trump. When it's like you know you just stick it out for a couple more months. This is like the perfect voice for you given the time. You know why didn't they? Why didn't Marvel Marvel Comics? Just extend the run for these books until at least Black Panther the movie came out. Right. It just it I don't know it just it we know that there are two different divisions and and things are are related but 
their siblings who don't like each other. But I don't know. I just I don't understand. It just doesn't make sense to me. And, and again, maybe you know, maybe we are sensitive to it as people of color and the folks, the powers that be at Marvel just are a little bit less sensitive. Maybe they're considering. I don't know. Maybe they have sympathy for some and skepticism for others. But there's just something about it. It just didn't. Again, one of those things where why did they choose? the popular black writer to write a woman um, like Storm, why did they cancel these other books before they even got a chance to do cross-marketing for the movie? I, I can't make sense of it. I don't know what they're looking at, but hopefully they know something I don't know. Yeah, from a business perspective, it didn't make a lot of sense in my eyes yeah. why they canceled that so close to the release of Black Panther. But... I guess that's why we're not executives. <laughs> <laughs> so what else do we have? Um, your show Before we is start bad. getting into the bullshit. Yeah, your show uh, The All-Star, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star cast for the new season with All-Stars 3 has been announced. And the lineup is actually is kind of small for a lineup. So they have returning back for competition. They have Aja. She was on season nine. Uh, ben Delacram was on season six. Chuti Devane was on seven, I want to say. No, eight. Eight, sorry. Kennedy was on season seven. Kennedy <laughs> Davenport. Milk was on season six. Morgan and Michaels was all the way on season two. Yeah. Shandala was on two and three. Thorgy <laughs> Thor was on season eight. And Trixie Mattel was on season seven. So this is I won't say it's an odd bunch of queens that they picked, but the word is that a lot of the queens didn't want to be on All Stars Three. Nope. I mean, it didn't I don't blame them from if you're trying to make a career out of this, or you already got your booking fee upped you're already traveling the world so why would you return and put be put back into that kind of environment because the shit that they go through they have to film all day they can't speak to each other when it's not filming they have to be locked in a room um some days it's the filming is crazy uh what i've heard but are you do you, i know for me i watched it do y'all watch uh drag race this is where you guys are going to take away my gay card. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I never got into the show. That said, every time I was, like, visiting friends and they would turn it on, like, I would be, like, focused on it and, like, shushing them because I was trying to pay attention. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I just I just never got into it on my own. Um, so it, it's kind of one of those things. I mean... You could say anything and I'll believe you. You could have any opinion and I'll probably agree. You know, like, you know, it's like, hey, you want to play? It's like, I've never played. Oh, so you want to play for money? You could tell me anything. Sure, just go ahead. Like, I'll, I'll just sit here and nod. Now, you can keep your gay card I mean, because, and that's funny because I, there was just this video that popped out with uh, BuzzFeed about what it is to be gay. But oh, anyway. we're not going oh, to. <laughs> We're not gonna talk about the video. But um, but no, you can keep your car because like I, I don't watch it like I used to. I, it's funny. I I treat that like I treat American Idol. I went as far as three and then I was done. Um, and so 
I did see the lineup. The only people that I'm I'm excited about is Shangela, only because I've I, I I've met Shangela be, before all of this because Shangela Shangela used to go to my um, hair person who when I used to have locks used to do my locks did Shangela's hair too, so I knew, remember Shangela and and I was actually a stand for Shangela just because I felt like you know she was mistreated in the second one or third one I think, but um. I I think this I think this might be a fun. I might watch it because the fact Shangela's on it. I don't like that the Wargi person because I feel like that she was just a little bit much. Um, I thought they were, I thought it was gonna have that um, Vena Vena uh Valentino whatever her name was. Um, the one I hope she doesn't come back with the mask. I thought they 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 if they was gonna do it for ratings they would have brought her back just to you know have some drama but. We'll see how this goes, but I also believe that, you know, maybe this is time for Rue to be thinking about next steps because you can only do, I feel like you can only go so much further with the drag race. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I listened to uh, RuPaul's podcast. Um, they had the winner of season five, Jinx Monsoon, on there, and they were basically pitching the idea to have a a season where all the winners came back. Okay. Which would be really interesting because all of them, they kind of perform around in the same circles. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got like uh, Bob and uh, Bianca that were New York girls uh, and camp, well not camp, but comedy queens. You have some pageant girls. You have, it's it would be interesting to see all the winners compete again yeah but yeah i'm with you they can kind of think about the next step as far as if you want to continue this as a a franchise or you want to wrap it up because i'll say it again and keep on saying that even though drag race has pushed drag to mainstream media it has hurt a lot of performers local girls and whatnot so i don't know it's a it's a complicated issue but it has done it has had positive effects hmm. yeah i don't say that i don't say that but yeah that's a we might have to do a live tweet of all stars when it starts i didn't get a, a season a, a date when it was starting, but they said sometime in the winter. <laughs> All right. So what else do we have? Well, Netflix is about to drop money on a whole smack dab pack of shows and movies. Like what about, it seemed like what a billion. What was that? A whole bunch of basically a whole bunch of money on a lot of content that may be a lot of hit or miss because if y'all have been, if any of y'all you know out there really watch the movies and stuff that's on Netflix, some of that is hit or miss. <laughs> but they about to drop a whole lot more money to give you a whole lot of content. So that means we got more original shows and more original movies coming out. Um, do I think this is a good idea? Yes. Do I think the business plan is completely cute? No. Because I feel like that's a lot of money that they can put out there. And some of the stuff they put out there is is two steps away 
from like Sharknado and stuff. Well, <laughs> I mean, true about the Sharknado thing. <laughs> um, no, I, but like, I I kind of look at it this way. Um, and I I apologize. I, I talk in stories and metaphors. So at in a former life at this one job. This dude was talking about uh, Breaking Bad. And he's like, oh, bro, this show's going to go down as, like, one of the greatest and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I said, wait a minute. You're talking, like, what, four, six million people a week? I was like, you know how many people watch all of these CSIs and um, and Law and & Orders? And, I mean, we're talking, like, 20, 25 million a week. In 20 years, people aren't going to remember these niche shows, no matter how good they were, because more people watch Sharknado. And I think that, like, in some respects, Netflix is, while they do have a lot of quality, that they understand that those are very niche, and they're trying to steal, like, the network viewer, the average viewer, um, and and I I don't know if that's uh, the kind of viewer that they've gotten so far, so $8 billion sounds great, and I think that it's a great opportunity um, I mean, given the, the diverse shows that they've had, um, mm-hmm. not just the Marvel ones like Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, um, but um, just, I mean, just so many different shows featuring women, featuring people of color, featuring, you know, LGBTQ. Um, but I don't know if that's where they're going to go. I don't know if, if, if they think that they're just going to assemble a bunch of niche shows because um, they're still, you know, limited eyeballs, limited time. So they just need to expand their market, and that might be where they go. They might yeah. just go for for the fluff and and you know the laugh track and the stuff that's not really that good, but yeah. hey, at least it appeals to a broader audience. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think about the show that had um, oh, I can't think. Of, um, I can see her face, Kate, Katie, Katie, um, Kathy Bates, and that show about her and selling weed, and that was not really a. It had a laugh track. It wasn't really funny. But then I turn around and I see when they have Black Mirror and how that really works. And then I see when they did a movie called The Babysitter. Um, it was okay, but it but it wasn't all that. And then, But then at the same time, they give you documentaries like um, about Nina Simone and then other things. But also they give you documentaries where we're not sure if they were the ones who did it. So it's like I'm, I'm, part of me is a little worried... That, that you know, as they do this, we may see more of that happening. I'm also afraid that we may get more Max Landis's. You know, um, he's a, a screenwriter. He's mostly known because of his father, John Landis. Um, but, um, and John Landis, if y'all know him, he was the one who had a lot to do with, he was, he worked on Thriller. He's done a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Google him. And he um, writes a lot of scripts, but he writes them like in two days. And none of his movies add up to like make any money, but apparently he's the top screenwriter. So I feel I'm I'm a little afraid that they may you know depend on people like Max Landis. But what I do hope is they give people like um, I don't know me or anybody like that opportunities to like, hey, we like what you got. Let's let's see if it works. You know, I hope that this is a way for them to use. Um, to, you know, bring in new people, you know, who can write or who has great ideas we just haven't seen to the forefront. I mean, they also have Shonda Rhimes now. So I think that Shonda may give us some things we just, we just, that she couldn't give us because she was under ABC and Disney. So who knows what this really is. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm mixed on this, but I'm somewhat optimistic if that makes sense. Yeah. 
Oh, they can stop giving Adam Sandler movies. Oh, my. Yeah, I don't... Like, really, he hasn't been funny since... Baby Boy or Big oh. Boy or wherever that was. <laughs> Water Boy? What was that, 96? It was that and then the one where he had a kid. We had that kid. And that's the only movie I ever seen that I actually paid to go watch. Was that baby one that he had. I've never paid or watched any of his other movies. I, I just never understood why he was... I get it why he was popular in the 90s, but I don't see how that has carried on to now. I really... I didn't watch it, but I hated him in Happy Gilmore because <laughs> I was... I like Bob Barker only because of The Price is Right. And him <laughs> fighting... Him beating up on... <laughs> Don't beat though, Bob Barker just made me mad. No, I feel that though. I feel that too. I was like, I was kind of like, don't be, don't be, because that that man, that man's a pimp. If you if you look at Bob Barker's life, I'll never forget that whole scandal he had with Diane and all them. But anyway, that's another story. But I didn't appreciate. I've never, I've never met a Bob Barker stand. I mean, we all love him, but I've never met one like that. No, Bob Barker was. No, Bob. No, I. I'm with Nick. Bob Barker was like my childhood, because that was me and my grandmama's bonding time watching Price Is Right, and you know rooting for all the black people to win, and and, and you know trying to play the games too, <laughs> and then try to guess prices. Like there were. T- I mean, Lord, we going way on tangent, but we used to use like <laughs> a bicycle tire, like a bicycle tire to spin the wheel. That was the wheel, and then we'll put like you know the and stickers and put prices on it. To- <laughs> Anyway, stuff like that. Why was it always that black man in the um in the contestants row? Everybody would bid like uh two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, one hundred ninety nine. Then the black man would be like nine hundred dollars and be way over, and like the <laughs> stuff was like fifty cents. I'm like, what are y'all doing? That I used to love that, or I used to love the game with the 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 the, the, the mountain man would go over the cliff if you if you overdid it. I used to love him. Oh yeah, yeah, and them yodeling. Yeah, I love that game, but um, (laughs) but I will say this: my heart was broken when I went on set for Price Is Right. When I first moved to LA, and we went to Price Is Right, my heart was broken because it's not big. I thought, but no, I grew up thinking it was like this huge set, like a like the size of a gymnasium. That's why I always thought Price Is Right was like that size. I get there, it they just move stuff around. I was sitting there, I almost cried. I was like, this is not what I grew up with. Bob Barker's not even on stage anymore. But anyway. I did cry when he retired. Oh my God, I, oh, I cried. I was like, damn, that is... Okay, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that was deep, y'all. Oh man. Bob Barker. But let's go on. Mm-hmm. Stop talking about Bob Barker. What else do we have, Victor? Well, we didn't talk about... I briefly mentioned it, but I just wanted to know y'all opinions about this. About the whole scandal with the gay video on BuzzFeed. Did all of y'all see it, though? Did everybody watch it? I saw those those, those uh, screen caps and... Nope. Nope. <laughs> I, I saw it. And I get what they were trying to do, but I, it just came off as... Yeah, I... Get I'm not like those other gays. I'm this kind of gay. Mm-hmm. It's almost I'm like, like uh, I'm not. I'm not a jigaboo black. I'm a wannabe black. It was kind of like that. It was like I'm the better of the blacks. Like I looked at it that way. 
Um, I, with you, Nick, I was like, I get what they were trying to do. But I think what they could have done was talk about the diversity of us. Not to say, well, they made it come off like it's a negative to like Lady Gaga. You could just say, it could have yeah. been like, we like this. Oh, I like that. Oh, I love Whitney Houston. I love Diana Ross. It could have been done in a way where it's like, we're just expressing what we feel, but it shouldn't have been done in a way of like, this is negative. And I feel like that, uh -huh. yes, we have quintessential gay tropes, as any group will have. But I thought they could have done that a whole lot better. Um, because a lot of stuff they were using was also very white. And I was like, well, you kind of talk about what white gays like, but I'll, I'll just leave that part alone too. But, you know, because I feel like this, yeah, you talk about Lady Gaga, you talk about all these other people, but for a lot of us, that's not it. That might, we might want to talk about Patti LaBelle. We might want to talk about, you know, Beyonce and, you know, something like that. So I feel like what they could have done. And if you think about it, they always miss the mark with these videos. I don't know who, actually, I do. Let me rephrase that. I feel, <laughs> BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed has, a problem. They love to hire people too young to understand pop culture, if that makes sense. I've always felt yeah. like that when you when you get into pop culture, you have to get somebody in their 30s because they have been, they've seen, pop culture is so much bigger than a millennial's life. And so I feel like you have to get somebody who knows pop culture, not somebody who just knows recent stuff like when you when you when you have a staff that can't tell you what say by the bell is about then you don't really have a pop culture team so i feel like their problem has always been they have too many young people trying to like let me go look that up versus oh i do know this um and you know i remember when they did the black video remember that whole scandal they had with the black video and then how they got dragged they got dragged for that they're getting dragged for this Again, I saw what they were trying to do. I just feel like they should have just really tried to like just talk about what we just like. It could be like this is what what, what I like, and it could be a different. It could be a a myriad of things. It didn't have to be like this whole negative spin on it. So I yeah, don't know. I I agree. I agree with that. Um, that yeah, you could you could easily see what they were trying to do to demonstrate the diversity of of gay people of queer people and that's fine that's there's nothing wrong with that um but they ended up doing this thing that um you know when um with 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 other other social issues where it's like you know um oh this immigrant is a good immigrant because they invented things or started a business or whatever it's like um and if they don't does that mean that they're less worthy or mm -hmm. you know you have victims of of you know, police brutality. And some people say, oh, well, you know, this person was this, this, this. Like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, it shouldn't matter, what, you know, what the, you know, their specific character. Like, you're going to say that some people were deserving and some people weren't. Um, when you're breaking queer people down like that and saying that, well, I'm not into this. And a lot, some of the things that they were saying as well were a little bit ageist, where you could see gays who are in their 30s and 40s mm -hmm. who are into those things. Or that was the culture that we grew up in. Yeah. And these kids are basically like admonishing us for growing up the way we did. And not that there was anything problematic. You know, we're just talking about that. Yes, we grew up in a certain time where clubs were the only places that we had, you know, um, you know, our, our you know, th those were our sanctuaries and and where we did have limited 
options in terms of who our divas were and who our musical inspirations were. Um, like, we didn't grow up with Beyonce. I mean, to a certain extent, some of us might have, but, I mean, I was, like, 0 to 18 before, like, I really took notice of her, and that was Destiny's Child more so than it was just her. So, you know, we didn't have these options, um, and and I, it's, it's like you were saying, it's when you don't have somebody who's in their 30s, when you have just kids, they lack perspective, and, you know, they could they could possibly take a bunch of classes and read books and talk to somebody older, but they're not doing that. They're not looking for a perspective. They're not looking to value the progress of, of queer culture. They're just looking at a snapshot. They have a bias of right now and they don't, they don't care what we went through or what our perspectives are. They that video just said, it's like, if you are not this type of gay, then there is something deviant or something wrong or whatever. And it really sounded like, you know what? fine i i feel like i'm talking to somebody who's or listening to somebody who's like in a church or you know somebody who is is very anti-lgbtq because they're Uh saying that some of the things that i like too are are not to be praised and um i just i I thought that it was just such a failure on their part and not sure how that would be approved because i know that they hire uh writers um media production people who are younger but their editors tend to be a little bit older and not sure how an editor thought that this was productive or how this was promoting discourse. And, um, you know, just to do a little bit of self-promotion, when I saw that video, I, I even I tweeted it out. Like, Ethnics, my website has an editorial opinion and a content guidelines that, that something like that would never get through because it doesn't boost our communities. If it looks mm-hmm. down on any of our communities, it's never going to go up for for our website or any of our social media channels. Exactly. And well, while we're at it, let's go ahead and talk about your website and how did you get that started? Um, well, let's see. So about a year and a half ago, um, I was bored one day (laughs) and started to think, started to think of the friends that I had and how each of them had, you know, a different sort of perspective on things. And, not going to lie, there were a lot of things that happened at the same time. Um, March of 2016, suddenly the hashtag gay media so white pops up. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you know what? This is true. And then you have a couple months later, you have Out Magazine Pride Month featuring Nick Jonas, who's not even gay, who was white during Pride Month. And uh-huh. like, you know, you have this confluence of events. Um, that led to us building more or less a blog and accepting, you know, open submissions. Um, and that lasted a few months, but um, uh, truth be told, once the Pulse um, the pulse tragedy happened in Orlando last year, uh, I lost my muse. I, I, had, I didn't know what I could say or what I could write that was appropriate. Um, it just didn't feel like talking about certain things like comic books, like dating or whatever. It just didn't feel at the time that it was appropriate. So I lost my muse. The site went dark. But this year we decided to start it up again and started to um, to pay our contributors for personal editing or articles that are a little bit more academic or journalistic um, and pay for artists and really formalize the site into something that, that the folks um, in our communities can be proud of. It's it because gay media still focus on focuses on cisgender white gay males we want it to be open so we want to have people of color we want to have the full lgbtq spectrum 
um, for sexuality and gender representation and presentation on there. So we, we try to do as much as we can. We try to recruit via Twitter. Um, and um, we just, you know, we organize the site into something more like a magazine rather than just a blog. So mm-hmm. every month we have a specific topic and we plan these out about six or seven months out. Um, and we uh, give it a name, we give it a theme, and everything is going to surround that. So it's like a little collection of essays and articles, uh, about eight to ten a month, and um, and we get to talk about these things in depth. So we we try to create a safe media space. So that's the website where we have articles and essays, where we have art, and where we have you know all sorts of media. Then we try to create a safe social media space. So that's our ethnics.com, um, all one word, at, on Twitter, on Instagram and Facebook. And then we try to create safe physical spaces in the offline world. Um, and those are like the kickbacks and these meetups that we've had. And we want to do more. Um, the first time that we had it, just to kind of test it out, we had, what, five or six of them across the country, Philly, New York, Atlanta, mm-hmm. L.A., SF. Um, it was it was pretty good, and um, so we we want to continue that. We want to keep that going and see what we can do. So uh, that's kind of the summary of it. It's safe a safe media space, mm-hmm. a safe social media space, and safe offline spaces for mm-hmm. us. I think it's a very that's good, excellent. What, yeah. Go, go ahead, Victor. No, I was going to say that you know I I really appreciate that because it's when you're on social media. And you see, it's very interesting because I, I struggle with how gay media is um, in a sense of you have, for example, you have a lot of these gay writers who are mostly white, but they all get verified. So therefore, they are seen more, but they talk to each other more, but they're not always open to talking to other people unless they are verified. That's one thing I've learned about. Um, the gay writing community is like, you know, they, they stick very close together. And I think what you're doing is getting the people who don't have that verification, the people who have, who have a lot to say, who have different experiences, who are not working for Viacom or BuzzFeed or what have you, a chance to really speak and talk about what it is to be, you know, a queer person who who is broke, a queer person who grew up in this different country and, and how they're, you know, getting, you know, used to this country and what we value and what we don't value. And I think it's good that we have a different voice out there because, you know, I was looking at The Advocate um, and I know people who are writing on The Advocate and I feel bad sometimes. I'm like, really, y'all? But at the same time, I'm like, you're still telling stories um, that mostly appeal to white audiences and I feel like we need to keep pushing our stuff out there or we're also seeing um, queer people of color who are writers they're not writing for gay stuff they're writing for like you know other things like Vox or um, Huffington Post or you know Daily Beast or I'm trying to think of all the other ones that we see they're writing for that and it's not always gay content not saying that we, we have to always write about gay things but it's I think about our community and I think about the fact that sometimes it's for those who are struggling with their sexuality, it's good to see somebody of color writing something and expressing something because therefore you have a sense of, you have some sense of belonging to that person or to the words they're writing because it's like that person has been through that and and they have that experience. So I like that y'all are doing this because yes, when 
Gay Media So White came out, um, it was unexpected. I remember when I created that hashtag, I was like, I'm just going to put it out there. I mean, I put it out there, was driving, <laughs> right? driving home, and then in the middle of a traffic jam, I just looked and how it just blew up. And I liked the fact that it made people think about what they were writing. It even made some black writers think, because there was one in particular that we got in an argument at the gym. I was I was on the elliptical and I was arguing with him on my phone. Um, he writes for Queerity, and he was like saying he didn't know why we make a big deal about this, but he ended up writing an article to support it after he thought about it. I think that stuff about people of color, stuff about our experiences, is highly welcomed and wanted and needed. I just wish that we can get more people on board to accept this you know I, I don't know if i'm making sense with that part but i i, I want it to be more accepted and more valued than just an article about how hot this white gay guy is i want our struggles our our stories to be just as valued as that i want more of our things out there so they can get the full gay experience or the full queer experience yeah absolutely and those you know those are to kind of touch on two of the points that you made. Um, one of the things that we did when we were researching, um, you know, who fills this this cutie pock, um, queer and trans people of color space in media. And it was a lot of individuals running like a Tumblr or a blog. You know, they mm-hmm. were churn out articles, very productive, um, relying on donations, but there was no real broad media support. Um, now, of course, like you mentioned, you have folks, um, folks at Vox, you know, Zach Stafford leading into um, or Grinder, and um, you have some other folks at other publications, and you know, I mean, Saeed Jones at BuzzFeed. Um, so the, it, it really seemed like over the course of the last year, year and a half, that these major media companies snapped up, um, you know, these very well-known, um, you know, queer POC writers and, and journalists. Um, but as far as gay media itself, um, there wasn't that kind of investment. And in doing that research, we found out, you know, when are these major um, gay media outlets, when are they referring to, when are they mentioning people of color? And it was tropes. Um, whenever it was black gay men, it was always in the context of HIV and AIDS. Oh. When it was um, mentioning Asian men, it was Always, it was as though the only thing you can talk about with Asian gay men was the fact that there's a stereotype about them being bottoms. Um, you know, with lesbians, it was it was. I mean, it, it was more of more or less the the constant, you know, uh, femmes versus studs. And um, with Latinos, it was like usually like crime related or, or immigration related. And it's like, listen, like we we are so much more than that. We are so much. Uh, beyond that and yes these are things that we have to be concerned about because these are part of our community but you know with ethnics we we did a whole uh cover story is what we call the collection but we did a called audio and just music and what that means to us in, mm-hmm. in the summer and you know we did uh, focused on femmes and we had a lot of people who identify as femme and you know black latino and otherwise and um you know, this month is the beauty of people of color, and we have a whole list of like twenty some odd Instagram accounts that people can follow um, for all types of shapes, body sizes, and, and colors. And we wanted more, and we tried to do research on more. And the next month, of course, you know, appropriate to this podcast, 
Um, we're calling it Nerd. And so we have half of our collection focusing on um, academics of color and you know what that means and what the academy means and how we find our tribe in the academy. And you know, uh, George Johnson is writing a, a, a short piece on HBCUs and LGBTQ and how that intersects and what that's like. Mm. Um, and we have folks who are focusing on um, on geek culture. You know, our people of color, our queer people of color, can we easily immerse ourselves in, in geek culture? What do we do when we're growing up? And yes, we all know about the X-Men and seeing ourselves in these, um, these stories that are just basically allegories for, you know, first it was racial harmony and, or racial trauma um, and difficulty, and now it's, you know, LGBTQ issues. Um, but what about beyond that? And so we tr- we're trying to focus on all of these additional stories because we're not just these tropes, these stereotypes um, that gay media continues to pigeonhole us into. And we, we're trying to. We hope to. Um, you know, we had an internal discussion about this hashtag that we launched last week or two weeks ago, um, support QDPOC media, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to gay media. So we're positioning QDPOC media as more inclusive, as broader, uh, in opposition to gay media, which we agree. It is so white. If you want gay media, that's white men. If you want cutie pop media, that's all of us. So we had an internal discussion, and there was some disagreement over whether we should launch it because the hashtag necessarily supports people who are kind of the competition. Um, but being as I, I, I listened to all sides, but I'm the editor-in-chief, so I can kind of make that decision on my own. But I decided to go forward with it in order to make sure that we were going to boost the community, not just mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Not just talk about what our content is and our goals as far as both a, 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 an institution within the community, but also as a business. Um, and so we went forward with it because it matters more. The community matters more. This isn't something that white gay media does. I got a lot of pushback from friends saying, uh, similar to you, Victor, when you launched the, the hashtag, when I launched Ethnics, people said, well, why can't you just try to, you know, create a space at out or through the advocate or through all of these other spaces? And it's like, because they don't want us to. And if they do let us in, they're still going to filter us. They're still going to censor us and not let us tell our stories. Chief, what do you exactly. say? Chief, what do you say when you some of the criticisms we, we will get is why can't we just start our own or why? Like, why do we need to be in those spaces? Um what do you say to that? Because I, I know when I, I have always heard like why we need to be in their spaces. We can just do our own stuff. In some ways, you are doing your own stuff. But what do you say when people are, are complaining about why we making a big deal about being in their space? What do you? What is your thoughts on that? You know, I have a couple of thoughts on that, and um, I, I, I can say this because we're family here, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, I won't. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I am reluctant to say this in front of uh, mixed company. But um, you know, on the one hand, you know, it it does matter because these are our stories. We are telling these things different. We have, um, you know, with with coming up in, with ethnics, we have something. Um, it's the cover story is titled titled "Fam," and we're focusing on uh, queer youth homelessness as well as the chosen family concept. Mm-hmm. You speak of the chosen family and white gays know exactly what you're talking about, but queer people of color and trans people of color aren't so sure about it. Part of the reason is because family matters a lot to people of color. So when you're talking about rejecting your family in favor of 
non-blood people who embrace you fully and support you as though they were family, this is a difficult thing for people of color. Um, so, but, so this is something that we, we can't just take it for granted. We can't just uh, read Velvet Rage and we can't just pay attention to, um, to white gays who talk about the chosen family and you know, spending Thanksgiving with only your gay or queer friends and thinking that that's okay. Um, we have to explore these issues, but white gay media would never. So even if we were in those spaces, um, they wouldn't let us tell our stories. They wouldn't let us talk about the dynamics as they apply to us. Or even down to using slang terms. Um, we, each of our communities as people of color, has different ways that we discuss and refer to even the concept of being queer. Um, there, you know, black folks and especially southern black folks have a lot of different terms for somebody who might be gay. That that is unintelligible to people who aren't in the know. For Latinos and um, they don't, we don't use the same terms. So if we were to hear that in pop culture, we wouldn't get it. But gay media wouldn't give either of our communities the opportunity to even discuss what those what those linguistic uh, constructions look like. So th that's kind of part of it. But the other part of it, this is when I can say, because we're family, um, a lot of people of color have been so burned um, by watching POC-related media or companies or efforts fail. Lots of promise, but no, they, they just don't last. Mm -hmm. That we're uh -huh. a little bit burned. We're a little bit jaded by that. And so getting support is very challenging. Um, people want to see it do something. They want to see some legitimacy, some credibility, and they want to see some survivability before they're going to get on board. And I mean, I'm not going to say that every effort is even com even compares to this, um, but in some respect, you can say that Barack Obama didn't get full support until it looked like he could possibly win. That's true. And. You know, it's we and, and I get it. I understand it. I don't blame any of our communities, whether Asian, Black, Latinx, Indigenous, or otherwise. I understand it. We've just been we've seen our efforts rise and fall, and seen so much failure. And sometimes, you know, we've seen people who are just you know they 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 present a certain kind of disposition, a certain kind of culture, a certain kind of um, uh, social justice awareness. But then as soon as they're bought or as soon as they get a certain amount of exposure or certain friends, then suddenly they start censoring, they start limiting, and they no longer speak for the community, they speak for themselves or for their business. Um, and, and you see that fall apart. So I totally understand it. I totally get it. Um, but those are two kinds of things that we're dealing with. And that I think that every effort um, when it comes to media, entertainment, business, or otherwise, I think we all see those same things. Now, on the one hand, we need to create in order to tell our spaces because we could never in those spaces and folks just don't see it they're so conditioned to think that whatever the white story or white story or the white vision of things is they're conditioned to think that that's the only way or that's representative of everyone and then on mm -hmm. the other hand folks who are in the know are just so reluctant to support because they just don't want to see it fail and be disappointed again hmm. it's very true yeah very true. It's it's almost <laughs> that's kind of a downer. <laughs> no, 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 but right? no, but but it's the truth. It is the truth what we are dealing with, and something that you said that um that sometimes frightens me is when you know when we have some of our 
um, writers of color who are doing good work, but then when they do get picked up by some of the bigger places, um, it's almost like the whole, it's almost like Stepford Wives. You know, it's like once they get in, they may come back after they went to the men's association, come back the next day and they talking about this recipe or, you know, I have to get this stain out. It feels like what happened? You're you're not that person anymore. So it's, it's this weirdness of. Because, I mean, when I used to when I used to write, I used to write um, for Balerico and a little bit for LGBT LGBTQ Nation. I used to always somewhat fear that if I get big enough, I might get lost in that world of where I have to talk about, you know, I have to talk about Sam Smith or I have to (laughs) or I have to focus on um, Will and Grace. Oh, God, Will and Grace or something like that, which is something I can care less about. So part of me is always like the fact that I want to stick to the things that I am familiar with, but also what I know our community needs to talk about. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to focus on your, the stereotypes that we like, you know, yeah, if I'm going to write about Asians, let's talk about the, how they can never find a date or talk about us, how we always got AIDS or, <laughs> or something like that. I want to kind of, it's time for all of us to break that mode and just tell a diverse range of stories. Exactly. And, you know, we can go ahead and get into our King's Eyes issue since we're already there. Yeah, we are. So, yeah, I'm about to say we pretty much did. Right. We're we just going to segue on in here. So it seems, you know, ever since uh, Agent Orange was elected, well, falsely elected, I think. But it seemed like there everybody is, you finally see those people that were quote unquote your friends or your allies or your comrades in the gay community take those masks off and you see them for what they are and it seems there's a lot of unmasking in the gay community especially you know with these these gays for trumps these law cabin republicans these people that talk a good game or say that they're here for everybody in the community, but when shit gets real, you know, they go back to what they are familiar with. They, they're they not for everybody. So uh, what do you all see that has changed in the gay community since Trump was elected? And what do you see that we can do about it? Don't jump in all at once. I'll, I'll jump in. Uh, <laughs> and I was trying to <laughs> One of the things that I've seen, um, and this comes with um, trying to boost ethnics off the ground and increase our footprint and readership, is that ever since November 9, 2016, a lot of folks woke up to oppression for the first time in their lives. And the, the idea of, um, I mean, it, it's the, the, the word woke has been dead for people of color for a couple of years, but suddenly it's like been revived and, and you know, people were, yeah, it got, it, it really did. I mean, I remember, I think it was what Van Newkirk like tweeted this out at the end of 2015. He was like, can we leave woke like t- to last year? Like, <laughs> um, and, and a lot of people were like using the, the hashtag stay woke as a joke, you know, by that time. And, and, 
I think that this idea of, and I've even seen like cutie pock and LGBTQ POC, it's like, it's now a marketing term and it's a signal. And I, I think that, I think that there's a lot more performative allyship by folks in the gay community. I think that uh, a lot of folks are seeing Trump as the end all. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten into it with some people o- over this and you know, whatever, but uh, that's just kind of how I, how I operate. But it's, you know, if they think that Trump is the end all, you know, um, last month, uh, Nikki Haley, as our UN representative, voted uh, against a, um, a death penalty capital punishment provision proposed by some UN committee, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my first thought was, well, yeah, the U.S. never opposes the death penalty, just like we never oppose landmines. And there are things that we just do because they would, they, there would be problems domestically. There would be problems with U.S. military policy. Um, there would be problems with U.S. military personnel that would hold them to international law. And, and that's just not what this country is going to do. Like, we can argue about the merits of those things on their own, but this is just how the U.S. operates. But gay media and gay folks, like the white folks who run New Now Next or Logo, were up in arms about this. And I'm like, wait a minute, you guys are acting like this is just us. It's like Japan voted against the measure too. Like, and the next day, Nikki Haley even put out a, a statement. She goes, no, if, if you have a death penalty or capital punishment targeting LGBTQ people, we oppose it. But folks wanted to pretend like this was all Trump and that this was new, or they wanted to pretend that Obama even abstained the last time something like this was up for a vote. Um, And when you have this investment in Trump as the end all, you get things today like, you know, Jeff Flake saying, oh, you know, Trump is this, that, and the other, and people praising him. It's like, wait a minute. We're doing the bare fucking minimum. Like, you know, people uh, praising Bob Corker. It's like, wait a minute. Bob Corker has opposed... um, Obamacare, he opposes like immigration mm-hmm. reform. Mm-hmm. He gets low ratings from women's groups, from um, LGBTQ groups. Like he is just another run-of-the-mill conservative. Like just because they op- oppose Trump doesn't make them worthy of our praise. Like not uh-huh. being as mm-hmm. awful as Trump doesn't make you good. It just makes you a little bit less awful. So I I, I see this thing and it it kind of worries me and folks are, are arguing against me and I'm like listen if you think Trump is the end all and you don't realize that you were spoiled by eight years of Obama then when Trump is gone you're gonna think we won and you're gonna forget all of the mm-hmm. fights that we still have to fight and so I become very I'm very worried about it because gay people pretty much think that we won and a lot of that is dictated by the white gays the white gays uh-huh. say hey this is important even people of color get in line. The white gays said that DOMA, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, mm-hmm. and the HIV travel ban were the mm-hmm. end of it. Mm-hmm. And once those things were all overturned mm-hmm. by Obama, by the way, um, then every, everyone thought queer history was over mm-hmm. and we can stop going to gay bars and neighborhoods and mm-hmm. we're accepted everywhere. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, trans women of color are still getting murdered for being trans women of color. Like, this is, it, it, yeah, I think mm-hmm. we're, we're entering that stage where mm-hmm. it's, on the one hand, woke and cutie pock are marketing terms now and and a lot of it's performative and not real world because if you look at how people treat each other the white gays are still treating people like shit and then on the other hand the the emotional and political investment in trump is worrisome for what happens after trump yeah right i mean let's not forget that his vp is pence who 
basically single-handedly created an HIV epidemic in Indiana. So let's not forget that. And it just seems people just need to understand that once you cut the head off a hydra, three more will appear. So let's... I don't want us to get complacent once he gets impeached Mm -hmm. because I fully believe that will happen. And furthermore... If Obama was it did one lie, he should have been impeached. Back when Clinton was in, uh, had his uh, trial for impeachment, it was only because he almost it was almost he told a lie to the American people about him getting getting head or whatever. But it didn't impede the progress or danger. American, so whatever uh, as far as his impeachment, but the grounds for impeachment for Trump is like laid out. It's black. It's almost black and white. Well, it is black and white because I was there was an article for I think it was the L.A. Times. It was an op-ed that impeachment doesn't mean any criminal or civil unjust. It just means whatever the Senate and the House allow it to be. So take, for instance, him badgering this widow of a fallen soldier, which that whole situation I'll get to in a second. uh, That can be grounds for dismissal. Uh, Him not releasing his tax returns can be grounds for dismissal. Him doing all this grandstanding and bullshit can be grounds for impeachment so it's just a lot yeah i i wanted to jump back to what to your question that you that you mentioned nick about just how yeah about our community and what have you what i've and and chief touched on a huge part of it what i feel like we learned about all of this is how still to this day white queers still didn't know what was at stake. I felt like what they were doing, because we saw a lot of it. You think about it. We had Bernie. We had Jill Stein. A lot of white queers voted for Bernie. A lot of them wrote in Bernie. A lot of them voted for Jill Stein. We, for some interesting reason, yes, they know they were spoiled. They wasn't. They wasn't only just spoiled from Obama, but they still had that white privilege that kept them thinking elsewhere. Kept them thinking about their. Kept them focused more on a privilege than what was truly at stake. Yes, they could vote for Jill Stein because what else? Because to them, it's like, well, you know, I can take this risk. But as a queer person of color, we we was like, we don't have a risk to take. We can't sit here and play. Like, oh, I'm going to go for this person. I'm going to vote for Randy Johnson and whatever his name was. It, it just felt like that they did not understand what was at stake. And I lost a couple of friends and, you know, because they were so heavy into Bernie. A lot of white gays were really into Bernie and were willing to throw it all away just because they wanted him in the office. And I felt like that we are now seeing what happens when they let their privilege lead them more than anything else um it did wake them up because they i guess they didn't realize that okay now we got trump in there 
he can, he has, it's not really about Trump. It's about people who's around him, like Pence and all the others who are willing to take away everything that we got and will do it in a heartbeat. You have Pence. I mean, I can't talk about him enough because of things we know about him. I still believe he's closeted and self-hating, but I also believe that if he could do it, he will do it. He tried to have that freedom, that freedom law, where he was trying to do in Indiana, that failed because he was pushed to it to drop it, but it was really going to be harsh if it got passed. Um, I still just really hold the fact that in a lot of ways, when it comes to where what we are seeing and what we're dealing with is we're still dealing with the white privilege within white gays when it comes to our politics. The fact that they were willing, they didn't, a, a good yeah, a good majority did, did vote for Hillary, but we did lose a lot of them to a, to Jill Stein and to Bernie, and that felt like a very big blow because it's like they forgot what was at stake. And as you mentioned, Chief, they were so fixed on getting Doma, you know, out of the way, getting don't ask, don't tell out of the way. They forgot that we still could be fired. We could still be fired for even talking about our vacation with our partners. The we that we can still lose our jobs, we can lose our housing. Um, there was so many things that they was so they wasn't fixed on. They still not fixed on. We're still dealing with the fact that we haven't got um proper job opportunities for trans people. Um, we don't have job protections everywhere. Luckily, like for example, I do because I'm working it. In most places of in most institutions, we are protected. But if you don't work in an institution, if you work like at a McDonald's or whatever, whatever, you can lose your job. And I think because we were I so know where I work, I don't have any kind of protection. Yeah. So we're still that is an issue we're still dealing with is the fact that we push these I personally sometimes like to say white gay agendas forward that we forgot that we needed to do a more universal queer um, initiative to work like ENDA. We still have to deal with ENDA. We still haven't figured that out yet. So I feel like that what we were seeing was this white privilege play out in ways that hurt us when it came to the election and still hurt us now because you still have a majority, not a huge majority of white gays, but you still have a good amount of them who are willing to say that they are gays for Trump, for Trump, who are still happy to be law capping uh, Republicans and who will still sit there and support a man that will basically take everything from us um, or anyone that will take anything from us. They will still stay there. So I if I'm making any sense, I feel like that is what I feel like that we are we are now seeing now is that the effects of that white privilege within our community and and how it played out in the election and how it could continue to play out until they get it together. So so what do we do since everybody is all of a sudden the the blinders are off and they see what is at stake? How do we keep them focused? How do we keep them engaged and in the fight for the long run huh uh that's a you know what that's a tough one and i think it's a tough one because um my experience has been that um people want to they they really want to be coddled they don't whereas some people who have been aware of these things for a long time um, are just frustrated and kind of over it. Um, the folks who are new to it, um, they 
they they I don't know they, they're they're sinking into their feelings deeper and deeper and so it is either going to take a lot of grace, um, a lot of patience, and um, and just a lot of time to to give them that ability to come around, um, or I don't know or you know I don't know what the alternative is it it just seems like you know a lot of folks we we're trying to build our own lives we're trying to flourish on our own. And the idea that we have to also take time out and energy to make these folks aware of things they should be aware of, um, then, you know, then we're never going to get ahead if we have to do that. Right. Very true. It's, I think we have to keep on reminding people and they have to, uh, when we're talking about our white gay brothers and sisters, they have to also bear the brunt because queer people of color can't bear the whole brunt. We can't do it all. So they have to at least stand there shoulder to shoulder with us because I don't think this this political environment that we're in is not going to stop after the 2018 primaries. I think it's going to keep on going on and going on until there's some sort of breaking point. Not with the government, but with society as a whole. As where we say, we're okay, we're tired, then this needs to stop and the government works for us. We don't work for the government. Yeah. I, I think that but yeah, it, I, I think what, what you were saying was right, Nick. We're going to have to keep shining the light on these issues and and keep letting people know that things are not done when it comes to our community the gay community or the queer community it's going to take things like ethnics it's going to take things like us on twitter and social media just explaining to people like we're not done we still have to worry about housing we still got to worry about job protections we still got to worry about education we still got to worry about you know protecting our you know trans women of color out here we still have, and trans men of color too, because I think about, oh man, his name, Ty, Ty Peterson. Think about what Ty Peterson went through. Um, we are still, there's things we still have to remind people of that we, this fight is bigger than your right to marry. It has always been bigger than that. And we have to be out there to remind them that again, being queer is more than getting married um, and more than military, it's 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 basically living. We're fighting to survive, and we have to keep reminding everybody that these are the things we need in order to survive. Exactly, and we just got to keep on going. <laughs> it's in our nature. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, when, when this is one of the things that I love about about spaces in um, in the cutie pock media space is that we are used to persevering both as people of color and as queer and trans people and um, there's never a moment where we can step out of one of those things and into a fully comfortable space and um, our, our entire histories whether whatever hat we want to wear in terms of identity um, it's it's always been about you know 
fighting or you know coming out or um, somehow being uncomfortable and not really giving a damn, um, especially these days. It's um, you're not going to ask us to censor ourselves when you know when we're still basically in the midst of of a struggle to to assert ourselves and, and our equality and our dignity um, and not really asking but really demanding for uh, demanding human decency in the way that we're treated so yeah I don't I don't think that there's I don't think we necessarily have an alternative I don't see us as giving up um, but it's just a matter of um, um, how much our how much are the white gays, how much are other folks, hetero folks, the Mike Pence's of the world, um, how much are they willing to put up with us because we're not really going to back down? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Hashtag I ain't been licked yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I do believe that brings an end to the show. Um, Chief, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, tell everybody where they can reach you on social media. Well, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. I do appreciate it. Um, and for giving me the time to talk about not just the politics stuff, but also uh, the geeky, nerdy stuff that I love um, near and dear to my heart. So, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> right? Um, so check out the website, ethnics.com, E-F-N-I-K-S.com. You can check us out on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, as well as Spotify and YouTube. Um, just search ethics.com one word. So E F N I K S D O T C O M, um, and yeah, we're we're gonna try to do uh, not just the online stuff, the app stuff, but we're also gonna try to do some in person, offline stuff. Uh, we refer to those as the kickbacks, and we're trying to plan those all over the country, irregular. And we hope to do something special for uh, Black Panther premiere. Oh, because you know what's going down on Black Panther. <laughs> yeah. And as always, you can find Megasheen on Twitter at Megasheen Pod. You can follow the website. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can follow the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. I'm at Porter Pizzazz. Victor is at Wonder Man 5. Um, anything else before we get up out of here, guys? No, this was great. This was a great discussion, and I'm glad that we had Chief on here to talk about it just our culture. <laughs> basically that and just what right. what we do need to do and I think it's always important to make sure one of the reasons why we do Megasheen is to make sure that um, queer people of color know that there's a voice for us in any medium and I like the fact that we can have these type of discussions to keep people aware and hopefully inspire them to you know do their own thing or to join in in the, in the conversation so I feel great I feel great after that's like i mean like i don't know I, i'm like this is really good i'm really happy that we had this conversation i am as well and until next time y'all we'll see y'all later all right bye